Father in heaven, we're so grateful to thee that we can be here in thy house in this morning. Lord, we're thankful for the warmth of fellowship that we could share as we came in the doors and even hearing the hymns sung as we come into this morning service, Lord. We're just so grateful for the blessing that we have and the privilege that we have to be protected by our government and to be encouraged to, to be here and to share in fellowship and service and in worship of Thee. Lord, we pray that as we would look into Thy Word in this day, that You would give us inspiration to, to understand it and apply it, perhaps in a way that we haven't seen before. Pray that our minds and our hearts be cleared of, of earthly distractions and that we could focus in on the truths that, though so familiar, can be made new to us each, each day. Lord, we do pray for our loved ones who can't be with us in this day. Lord, pray for the Mueller's at home and pray that their recovery would, would continue and that it could go well. Lord, we pray for the Marcy's uh, by themselves and, and in their room and pray that you'd minister to them in this day as well. And for Aunt Marie and Aunt Lainey, anyone, Lord, that, we, that maybe doesn't even come to our minds right now, Father, minister to their needs and, and be, be their keeper in their stay in this day. So, Lord, as we would look into your word now, we'd ask your blessing upon it and upon us as we would seek thy direction for each of us, individually and collectively. And we'll pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I ask you to turn with me to the book of Daniel. Book of Daniel, chapter 6. Maybe you'll have more luck getting there quickly than I will. Daniel chapter 6. This is a very, very familiar passage. Um, I think probably one of the most familiar passages, if I had to think about um, Old Testament stories and Sunday school stories. It's, it's Daniel in the lion's den. Um, but was, was moved to, to look, not, not really focus on the lions today, Take, not focus on the, the zoo part of it that is so exciting and was the part that I remembered as a kid. Um, remember drawing, drawing pictures on the board. I actually remember drawing pictures on a chalkboard at the old church of this story and how far this lion's den. I, we always, the lions at the zoo are, I always thought was a den too, right? I mean, if, if they don't have any anymore, but those of you that have been there in recent years, um, the lion's den was this kind of a cave looking thing where the lions never seemed to be in there. And I had always assumed when it said the lion's den, it looked something like that, that they had put Daniel in there and kind of wondered how in the world did they close them off. And I remember drawing at the old church as we had the Sunday school lesson, how this must have been a pit of some sort because he was cast down into the lion's den. And the graphic nature of that, and uh, well, we'll read it here in a second, how it says that the, when, when da Daniel's enemies were thrown in later, that they didn't even hit the ground before the lions did their due diligence. Um, but I don't want to focus on that part today. I would like us to look at the man Daniel and the, the character of Daniel. 
Um, just as we, before we start, I asked, well, it was kind of cute. I'm not, I'm going to talk about what we talked about this morning, okay? Ethan doesn't usually like it when I mention it, but I said, he asked me this morning, well, Dad, are you preaching? I said, yeah, I'm preaching. What are you preaching about? I said, Daniel and the lion's den. Oh, that's cool. And I said, what else do you know about Daniel? And I was impressed that he could go back and tell me, he says, well, there was that time when they came to Babylon, that story, and then he was able to interpret the dreams. Those were the two things he pointed out. And I said, yeah, but do you remember, like, that's great. I said, do you remember the other thing about how they were, uh, they had to eat vegetables? And he said, dad, that's when they came to Babylon. That's what I meant. That's the story I was talking about. So I was impressed that that, you know, he, he knew that story. And we know it well, too, that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are these young men that were found favorable um, of the captives and, and brought into Babylon. And we know the story about how they were supposed to be given all of these Babylonian steroids or whatever. It was it, things that they shouldn't eat, it, it, unclean things that they should not have been consuming. And as obedient men of God, young men of God at that point, they didn't. And so they ate vegetables. I remember from Sunday school that it wasn't like vegetables like on the vegetable plates in here too. It says that it was pulse. It says that this would not have been the most attractive things to eat. It wouldn't have been the peppers and uh, carrots and tomatoes that look so, well, look so nice to some people, not as much to me, but that they wouldn't have enjoyed eating this. It wasn't like a fun vegetarian diet that they had, but they were dedicated and they showed... Um, they showed discipline, and then they showed obedience to what they had been taught and to what they knew was God's expectation for them. In the next chapter, in the chapters that follow, we see Daniel uh, is called to interpret this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. And can't, nobody can understand what this dream is supposed to be. And he, he doesn't even remember the dream. And then Daniel comes and is able to tell him first what the dream was, then interpret it for him. And if you remember, Nebuchadnezzar promotes him and, and, and honors the God of Daniel. Next chapter is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel's not in that one. But again, here's Nebuchadnezzar who has these three men, then becomes four men in the fire, walking in the flames. There's a fun song that goes with that. Again, Nebuchadnezzar has this opportunity to recognize the power, and the, the power of God through the obedience of these men. I think it's the next one is Nebuchadnezzar has this vision or another dream, I think it was, where Daniel has to tell him about this terrible thing that's going to happen to him, how he's going to fall and how he's going to have to crawl around like an animal and he's going to, to be a, like a beast of the field. And still, Nebuchadnezzar in that moment too, I, I, we can look back later, acknowledges the, the power of Daniel's God. And I promise we'll read here in a second. But the last one in the pattern is, is Daniel. Um, Belshazzar, I think it was, is, his, is, Daniel, is Nebuchadnezzar's son and is sitting at his table and all of a sudden sees a hand. It's, it, it says, sees fingers, no body, but sees fingers and a hand writing on the wall. But he doesn't know what the writing is. And Daniel is called because by now he has been promoted. He's been known by everybody in the kingdom for many, many years at this point to be able to interpret or decipher those things. 
And so he reads off to Belshazzar what that was that was written there. And it says that you've been weighed in the balance and you've been found wanting. He has to convey to the king that the kingdom is going to be split, that you're going to be defeated, that you're going to be deposed. Not a fun thing to have to communicate. But even in that one, I think it's just at the end of chapter 4, we can see, or maybe chapter 5, um, in that night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And Darius of Midian took the kingdom about threescore and two years old. And so we find ourselves at the beginning of chapter 6 with Daniel, now likely an old man. The, the young man that was eating vegetables at the beginning of this book is now an, an old man. And we'll, we'll pick up with chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes may give accounts unto him, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and the princes, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. I think I changed my mind how I'll do this this morning. You don't have to follow along. I think I'm going to start and stop as we kind of peel this story back. So those first four verses, we have Daniel... If you just do the math in the side of your Bible, you have timelines of 538 B.C., 580 B.C. So bear with me and let me assume and suggest that Daniel at this point is in his 70s, 80s, something like that. 50 years in power. That's another piece that I never picked up from the Sunday School stories, but he did. I asked him this morning, I said, well, how old do you think Daniel was? Because in my mind, I saw eating pulse... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, deciphering the dreams, all these things happening over the course of, I don't know, as a kid, maybe six, seven years. And I'm thinking there's this young man that got thrown into the lion's den. And he said, no, I think he's probably like Mr. Steve's age, our neighbor, who was 73 or 74. That, that changed it right off the bat for me. Because when you talk about those few, first few verses of chapter 6, tell us, that there was not one blemish that could be found on Daniel's record of service in Babylon. And now, Persia, I guess. How many people can say that? How many people in service, in public service, have spent 50 some odd years, plus or minus, in public service, and there is not one thing that could be evil spoken of them, or poorly spoken of them? I got 15 years in business, and there are poorly spoken things that could be said of me. Things I regret, things I would have done differently. 50 years in an enemy territory, as a captive, in enemy hands, serving under rulers that were not known to be good guys. And there wasn't one thing that could be said about this old man now that would have been incriminating of him. Then, these men, then said these men, We should not find any occasion against Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. We're not going to find any problems unless we can tie something 
to his worship of his God. The only thing that we will be able to work with is this, it will be concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled themselves together to the king and said unto the king, King Darius, or Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors, the princes, the counselors, the captains, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors, the princes, the counselors, and the captains, absolutely every person in power came together and conspired against this one man that they would find a way to have him destroyed. And what they use is this, I, I think it's funny. Well, we'll go. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign it in writing that it not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. I think this is the first time we hear about the law of the Medes and Persians. It comes back up when we're talking about Esther. And I just have to laugh. I need you to sign something. Make this proclamation so that it can't be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, but just do it for 30 days. Why not make it something that would have been in perpetuity? Why not make it something that would have lasted forever? This was so specific to dealing with Daniel and causing a problem for Daniel that they didn't want it to have any long-term ramifications. They just wanted it to be 30 days because they knew that this was going to be enough to, to oust him. And fickle as some of these rulers are, wherefore King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Doesn't even sound like there was much of a conversation. Just... A, a flip of the wrist and it was done. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and the windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God as he did aforetime. Then the men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall seek and ask a petition of any god or man within thirty days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Then answered they and said before the king, That Daniel, that Daniel, which is of the children of captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. It's interesting. They, we'll, we'll jump back to Daniel in a second. The accusation that they bring to him is that it says that Daniel regardeth thee not, that Daniel's not respecting you, king, that Daniel isn't, he's not paying attention to you, king, and he's out there praying to his God three times a day. They build a narrative based on the fact that Daniel had a life of service that in no way had shown disregard or disrespect for the king. But Daniel saw a line in the sand where this could not be changed, that he was not going to, st he was not going to stop worshiping his God. The question wasn't even in a Nebuchadnezzar question where they were supposed to bow down to this graven image. That's not what the decree said. The decree just said, don't pray. That would have been the solution. 
right? Daniel would have had the option. His out clause would have been, don't pray. For 30 days, don't pray. Or be sneaky about it. I mean, how many of us would have come up with some, all right, let's, what's the back room way we could kind of have the prayer, do the prayers, but so nobody really knows. But as soon as Daniel knows that the decree, the decree is signed, which makes me wonder in the context of how this is written, I wonder if he knew this was brewing. I wonder if he knew if every, if every ruler of the kingdom, every man or woman in authority is plotting this thing against you, you'd probably, I would imagine that there might have been some uh, winds of, or hints of danger that would have gotten to his ears. And he says, as soon as he heard it decreed, as he had done aforetime, as his pattern was, which tells me that this was a disciplined, dare I say, habitual thing that he did, that three times a day, morning, noon, and night, he went to his window, he opened his window, he looked toward Jerusalem as this captive man and prayed to his God, bringing, uh, I think it even says, uh, prayed and gave thanks. Prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Knowing that his life was now on the line. He had done this prayer. This is an 80-some, let's call it 80-year-old man. This prayer, this regimen, this practice and discipline of praying three times a day toward Jerusalem was something he had learned and done all of his life. How many prayers does that come up to be? I'm not, I can't do the math fast enough. Last time I tried to do the math, we ended up with 7,000 miles to Antioch. It's, I don't know how long that was, but it was uh, many, many times he had done this. Many, many days he had done this. And the first time that his life is threatened by, by him acting in obedience and in discipline, he prays and gives thanks. It doesn't say that he pled with God, that he, he agonized about the fact that now he was, uh, this was the last time that he was going to be able to pray. He didn't uh, weep and gnash his teeth and, and tear his clothes and all this kind of stuff and, and get so worked up about the fact that this was pressure and persecution being brought upon him. It says, as he had done aforetime, he went, prayed, and gave thanks. I marvel at that. The only way that that can happen is because that had been a disciplined part of his life. It was a spiritual, I, I hate the word habit, because habit always has a bad connotation. Biting my fingernails is a habit. I should not be doing that. But in Daniel's life, we can see spiritual obedience in the way that he acted, and, and, and not acted, in the way that he lived and was obedient with his friends and the vegetables on the front end of his life in Babylon. And now we see as an old man that life of service and, and a prayerful attitude is completely unshaken when it faces the most pressure that it's ever felt. How does he react? It says, well, first we see that the king, they bring to the king, uh, the, the sneaky little guys come and say, didn't you say, and I'm guessing, how, if Daniel went immediately to his house to pray, and these guys came immediately to the king and said, didn't you say, I love how they have to repeat everything. 
Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't this morning you just sign a decree by the law of the Medes and Persians that anybody that did this would be thrown into the, law of the, uh, into the den of lions? And the king's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, let me point one out to you. Your friend there, that guy that's second in command in the entire kingdom, he's out there trumpeting a prayer to his God from his balcony with the windows open, and he does you no reverence or, or something like that, or it's, what's the right word? The king, when he had heard these words, was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. I guess the custom was that if a judgment had been executed, if, if, a, um, if a decision, that's not the right word, if a verdict had been wrought on a particular day, the judgment was to be executed by that same day, by the end of that same day. And so as soon as Darius gets this answer or gets this information, he's, he, he's so upset with himself. How did I get bamboozled or how, did I, how was I so gullible to have these guys put this proclamation together? Why didn't I see? How did I not know? And so he seeks for the rest of the day agonizingly to figure out a way. How in the world can I get out of this? You know, he's the one that repeats that this is by the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be changed. How can I get around this terrible decision that I made? Then these men assembled unto the king and said, O king, the law of the Medes and Persians is, there is no decree nor statute which the king established may change, may be changed. The enemies, the squirrely guys, have to point out in, in, in a... I can just, I hear a voice in my head of how these guys are probably talking, and it's, it's squealy, and it's whiny, and, and you know it can't be changed. And so the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of the lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. How final was this? This wasn't like they lifted a trap door, dropped this old man down, and said, hang on, I'll be back in the morning, hope everything goes well. This was, take a stone, roll the stone in front of this opening, and then take the same ring that had signed the first decree and seal the door. I mean, this is a terrible analogy, but we've probably all seen those like crime scene photos where, not the photos, but when they show that this is a crime scene and you're not supposed to go in and there's the police tape and they say like, uh, do not enter evidence or whatever, and so they can preserve the scene. Darius was doing that same thing. He's preserving this scene. He wants to make sure that there's not going to be any altering of this, that there's not going to be, you know, who knows, won't, won't conjure up what could have happened but wants to make sure that he's the last one that has seen what's happening in that lion's den that night. Then the king went to the palace and passed the night fasting. Neither with instruments, neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. Very subtle way of saying it. It sounds like he enjoyed having 
music at night um, to put him to sleep. He instructed that there be no music brought to him. He was not going to have any um, entertainment or whatever. Um, and it says that his sleep went from him, that he was up the entire night agonizing about what, what, what was taking place. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. Just, I won't, I'm not going to try to put in your head what that sounds like, but in each of your minds, imagine what a lamentable voice would sound like. The king spake and said unto Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? The king knew Daniel well enough to promote him to second in command. He knew him well enough to be able to make this comment to say that Daniel, a servant of the living God, whom you serve continually, and yet didn't put together that this decree that he was swindled into making was going to have an effect on Daniel and was, going, was specific to Daniel. It just boggles my mind. But, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Then Daniel said unto the king, remember, remember how all those folks came to the king the first time? They like this phrase, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angels and hath shut the lion's mouth, that they have not hurt me forasmuch as before him in, in innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceedingly glad for him, and commanded that he should take Daniel up out of the den. And Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him, because he believed in his God. Someday we'll get to ask, God shutting the mouths of the lions. He had shut up their mouths. I really would love to know what that was like. I would like to, I mean, as little kids, we envisioned a muzzle. We envisioned something holding that mouth of the lion shut, and it probably didn't need to be that supernatural. It didn't need to be that graphic. But we can only imagine the sleepless night that Darius had, wondering what was taking place, and coming with that lamentable voice, with that pensive, wondering, Daniel has... What happened? And the first words out of Daniel's mouth, O king, live forever. Because there was no evil, because I had done no evil, because there was no, um, because there was innocency found in me and because I've done you no hurt, God has shut up the mouths of these lions. He doesn't go into a big um, vent session about how he was set up. He doesn't, say, King, what a ding-dong you were for not catching this in the first place? Like, how did you not see this? He just simply answers the question that the king asks and gives glory to God, saying, you know that there was no evil found in me. You know that I did nothing wrong. I caused you no hurt. And because of that, God was faithful. In the same way, 
when it said that you shouldn't go, that you can't pray to anybody else, he didn't go and stand in the middle of the square and make a big proclamation and I'm praying to my heavenly father and in direct conflict with what the king has asked for. He did as his manner aforetime was. As he had done aforetime. As his habit and his spiritual discipline had conditioned him to do, he exercised his faith the same way that he exercised his faith the day before. The, the part, part of what struck me was this, this concept, and I, I saw a phrase here, and it says, crisis did not change, or did not create Daniel's discipline. Crisis revealed his discipline. What do I mean by discipline? There are things that we do in our walk. There are ways that we walk that are, even in a, start in a broader sense, there are things we do in our lives that are habitual. We've, taught, we've been taught to do this. We've been taught to brush our teeth before we go to bed. We know what happens if we don't brush our teeth before we go to bed. Or if we don't do that for a long period of time, there's problems that, are, that incur. But there are things in our spiritual lives that we, we probably don't look at in terms of, well, if I don't do this all the time, there's, there's going to be problems. Um, we teach our, our children. We, we, we were taught, and so we teach our children that before you sit down to partake in a meal, you give God uh, thanks for it. You ask a blessing on the meal. And there's times that you don't remember or there's times that you don't feel that it's like totally necessary if you're sitting by yourself like is, is am i doing this because it's a witness to other people or am i doing this because i'm thankful to god for the food it struck me yesterday the little guy banged his head real bad um had a concussion has a concussion and he was in yes you he was in a, a pretty sad mood last night um had to have a CAT scan to make sure everything was okay and wanted to eat some food. But, you know, when you bang your head, your stomach is a mess and you have things that happen. And so he was really not feeling good. And so I quick mixed up his food and set it down. I said, well, do you want to eat something? Yeah, 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 I'll eat something. I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll pray. No, 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 I'll do it. And, I mean, he's cross-eyed, but he wanted to, have, he wanted to say his prayer. And it struck me, it, it struck me, because I, I was thinking about Daniel at that point already. I'm thinking, here is this, I pray that that kind of discipline is something that when he's 80, that he'll have that same level of discipline. So when the crisis that comes in his life that needs to be confronted, that the, the spiritual discipline to know to go to his heavenly father in all circumstances and under any condition will be there as a foundation to say that, you know what, many, many, many times it's easy to pray. Most of the time, it's very easy to pray. But on that day that it's hard to pray, on that day that there's actually a consequence that will come from our prayer, that we'll be willing to throw caution to the wind and continue on and do it. We went through a crazy year the last year and a half. And we struggled with, we're, we're not allowed to come to church. Well, we're not allowed to come to church because there were health risks in doing so. And I'm thankful for how everything went through and how we were all well and how every we could come back peacefully and all, and all of those things.
But it made me wonder at times, and I'm thankful this hasn't been the case here, but I, I heard many testimonies of, of folks that were so concerned that once we've, made, once we've made the collective gathering together, take a break. And we've given ourselves more options on how to do it virtually and, and how to do it you know, via Zoom or Skype or FaceTime or Microsoft meeting. or all, We gave all of these different opportunities on how to do this. Would we be willing to come back? And I remember it was exactly a year ago, maybe two weeks, when we were able to come back in the doors the first time. And how my heart rejoiced and broke at the same time of being able to do that. And so some would say, well, you should have been like Daniel. You should have stood up there and opened the doors regardless. That's a totally different circumstance. I'm not even going there. What, I'm, what I was moved by was, do I recognize that some of the things that I do as a habit or have been taught as a habit or taught as a disciplined thing because this is how we do them, they're there for a reason so that when a crisis comes, I know how to react, so that it's more foundational to me. Daniel's there wasn't anything special about the fact that he had calluses on his knees. There wasn't anything special about the fact that he opened up the window. But he opened the window so that he could look to Jerusalem and remember from where he came, to remember where his hope was. He could easily have laid in his bed and had that prayer. But the things that regimented him to be able to remember to have a conversation with his God, even when things were good, were the things that made that relationship strong enough that when things were bad, it could be relied on even more. He knew as he kneeled or knelt to pray and look out on that first prayer after the decree. He knew that the lion's mouths were going to be shut. And if they weren't, that his duty on earth was done and he'd be with his father. We can kind of see, look, look at the... I rehearsed the kings from before for a reason. Every single one of those guys acknowledged the power of Daniel or Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego's God. They acknowledged that this God was great. And then something happened and they ran around like chickens with their heads cut off and had no confidence and no spiritual awareness or nothing. And yet here's Daniel plodding along for 50 years under all of that chaos in a governmental sense and in a socioeconomic sense and whatever sense else you want to give it. In that chaos, he did his spiritual walk the same way as God laid it on his heart. Wasn't that somebody told him that you have to do this and you got to do it that way and you got to do it three times a day. I don't see that. It didn't say that anywhere. But he knew that this was the way that it was, he was going to be centered with his heavenly father. And so he could rely upon it when the crisis came. The king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and we'll just get past the graphic part fast, and they cast him to the den of lions, them and their children and their wives, and the lions had mastery of them and break their bones in pieces, or ever they came at the bottom of the den. Whew. Then King Darius wrote unto all the people, nations and languages that dwelt on the earth. Catch that one for a second. He wrote to every human being on earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be ever unto the end. 
He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. Who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? That is quite a decree. Look at what Daniel actually said in this chapter. Not much. Not many words of Daniel that are shared. When we talk about the words of Daniel, it's usually rehearsing the visions that he had later and all of the, the prophecy that he, he articulates in the back half of the book. Daniel didn't have to say much, but his life exemplified faithfulness and discipline to the point that it impacted the leader of the then-known world to make that statement. Not just to call out the God of the Jews. The God of Daniel. I, I don't think it's a good thing to aspire to, to that. But that said, can we imagine if someone would say, the God of, insert your name right there, is the true one only God. He's rescued, he saves he causes to prosper and he causes um, to reign. He worketh signs and wonders in heavens and earth. To have Almighty God, the God that we serve, associate with, that, that, that's the God that, that you serve and that you serve is the one true God. That's what, yes, we should aspire to have that set, not to have our name in a marquee necessarily, but to have that kind of a witness. Not because of anything that we've done that's spectacular. Daniel didn't do anything spectacular in this particular passage. He didn't walk through a fire. He didn't have... He was thrown into the den and God did the work. What he did was be obedient to the commitment that he had made to serve God under all circumstances and in any condition. I'll just leave it at that. May the Lord bless these words.